Well, here at Grace, uh, we are a family first and foremost. Uh, That's what the church is called to be. And that means we spend time with each other. That means we love each other. And as a team or as a family, we never stop reaching out, right? That's what what we're called to do as the church, what God wants for us. And sometimes, as a family, unfortunately, um, we need to have a family meeting every once in a while. And that is what we are going to be doing today. Uh, now, today, let me just be straight up, straightforward with you. Today's going to be uncomfortable. All right? It's going to be a pain. Um, for me, it is, people will be offended by what we're going to be talking about today, hands down. In fact, I'm assuming that uh, some people may even leave our church, may even leave our family, and maybe never come back again because of what we're going to be talking about today. And it's the coward in me that is dreading this. And I've been dreading this for a long time, all right? Uh, But I feel like we got to talk about this. And so we're going to be talking about the election. Um, Not something anybody, well, some of you guys love talking about it, but not something I like talking about necessarily. Uh, But for decades, um, we have been lied to and we have been taught the wrong things about American history, about Christian responsibility, and about the current political platforms of the parties. Okay, hands down, it's just how it is. And so uh, a disclaimer, just want to throw this out there. If, this is, if you're new and you, maybe you've been coming, maybe this is your first week, or maybe, you know, you know, maybe you've been coming for a few weeks, maybe it's a month, maybe it's six months, I don't, I don't know. If you consider yourself newer here uh, to Grace, um, just know that this morning, I'm only talking to Christians, okay? Not saying you're not a Christian, just saying I'm only talking to Christians. We know that we have people in here every, you know, week in and week out that, uh, that are seeking and are trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, trying to figure out where they stand, and we want you to keep coming here. We love that you're here, and so I'd ask that you give us another shot, okay, and not um, judge us based off this message uh, today. Um, we as a family here, we are not perfect by any means, not even close, um, but this, just for you new People, this is a great family, okay? It's a great family here in Tiffin. Um, We're a new family. We haven't been around for very long um, in that sense, but uh, this is a great family, and we want you to be a part of our family. We, we do, all right? We want you to be a part of what we're doing here at Grace. I was actually talking to a, uh, to a friend recently um, who was in a very respectful, nice way, um, was kind of picking apart some aspects of our family here, here at Grace, picking apart our families. And a lot of it, as I'm just kind of taking, I was kind of taken back about it, it's just kind of petty stuff. And um, it really kind of got me on the defensive, or what it did, or what God used it for really in, in my life was it pointed out to me how much I love, love our family here. And um, I know that our family's not perfect, and, you know, I, you know, hearing things about, well, you know, this person, I, you know, I know this person's not perfect. I know she's got major issues that she needs to work on. I know he's got his problems, you know, but, but I'm not going to give up, okay? We shouldn't give up on our family. In, in fact, what the Bible tells us to do is we're, uh, iron sharpens iron. We're supposed to help each other grow closer in our relationship with, the, with God, help each other get better. And so with that spirit and attitude this morning, I turned to 2 Timothy, which is um, a book that Paul writes, a letter that Paul writes to a young pastor like me um, named Timothy, and, uh, and, and I look how God instructs me personally as, as a pastor, He's, as your pastor. He says, the Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, 
able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. I read this, and what the subject that we're going to be talking about today is controversial. I get it. There's people on all sides here this morning. Um, and I know that I need to be, as we're going through this subject, I need to be gentle, able to teach, patiently instructing, and I need to be gentle. Okay, that's what God calls, calls me to do. So that Perhaps God will grant them, the people listening, repentance, leading them to the knowledge of truth. Because that's what we're all searching for, right? It's truth. What's true? Not what we think is true. What's actually truth? It says, then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Now, I've gone around and around with God the last few weeks knowing that this was, that this was coming I've argued with God, I've been wrestling with God, and, um, and so I do this kind of kicking and screaming. And part of it, and, and I think part of it's selfish on my part, because I know that I'm going to be criticized for what we're going to be talking about today. I know, I know that's, that's just the reality of it. I know our church family, our family that I love, is going to be criticized from what we're talking about today, but I know that I need to do what he wants me to do, and I need to please him and not you. Okay, that's, that's, that's just how it is. Um, And so here we go, all right? Ugh. Matthew chapter five, okay? This is what Jesus tells us. He's talking, to, he's talking to believers, okay? This is what he says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, salt back then was a lot more important than salt is now, although some of you would argue that salt is extremely important, okay? To, you know, we sprinkle salt in our food. It makes the food taste better. We like salt. Most of us like salt. All right, back then, salt was way more important. Salt was what you used to, it was a preservative, right? That's how you... Preserve meat. That's how you preserve things that would otherwise go bad. And so they didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers, but they had salt. And so it's super important. And so he's saying, but, but Jesus is saying, but the salt, the important salt, should lo- if it were to lose its taste, how can it be made salty? He says it's no longer good for anything, but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. He says, then he says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. Right? No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. Right? When we, when we put a, install a light in our house, where do we put it? On the ceiling. Okay? Right? We don't put it in the bottom corner near the, near the floor. We don't do that because then it can't shine light everywhere. This is what Jesus is trying to point to us, all right? like a city on a hill. He says, you don't put it under a basket. He says, no, in the same way, you need to let your light shine. Before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now, when it comes to politics, right, we all have our opinions. I know that. I understand that. I understand that fully. Um, the whole subject is complicated. It's tough. There's all different kinds of avenues to go. And really, that's the reasons why a lot of churches are afraid to talk about it. That, that is the reason. But here Jesus is saying, he's saying, hey, you are the light of the world. You are not, as a Christian, again, only talking to Christians here, you are not to sit back and hide your light. It's not what we're called to do, right? We, in fact, he says, we are to shine before others. 
Now, I have a lot of Christian friends um, who have the idea, the perception that, hey, you know, we shouldn't be involved with politics, right? Christians shouldn't be involved with politics. We need to separate, you know, religion um, from, from the, you know, separation of the church and state. And, and, you know, a lot of people aren't voting, right, this time around because of that, because of that idea. But this, that's not what Jesus is calling. He's saying, hey, 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 you are the salt and light. And if you take, let's say you take the light and the salt out of the, out of the world, the world gets darker, and it decays a heck of a lot faster. The story of the United States is the story of how God has used a messed up, broken people to bring about good change in the world. Right? And Christians were involved in that story ever since the beginning. Actually, only in recent times have pastors run from the idea of talking about politics and the revolution, all right, the beginning of our country, right? Pastors, they boldly spoke out. In fact, there's, you can get, get books of sermons that pastors wrote called election sermons uh, right before elections. And even some pastors led their congregations out to fight. Wouldn't that be sweet, all right? Like, who's with me? Let's go, all right? I got one head nod. Okay, I appreciate that. <laughs> Two of us. Um, the Battle of Lexington, the first battle of the revolution, I got you, the first battle of the Revolutionary, the revolutionary War, right? That, that was literally a pastor and his 70 congregants up against 700 to 800 British soldiers, okay? Um, his name is Jonas Clark, April 19th, 7075, is the shot that was heard around the world, All right, Our founding fathers, depending on what you, you know, your definition of founding fathers. There's roughly 250-ish men. Uh, 56 men signed the Declaration of Independence. 55 men signed the Constitution. And about 90 men, uh, not signed, but wrote the, the Constitution. And 90 men um, wrote the Bill of Rights. And uh, we generally don't know much about them. In fact, here's a picture right here of the signing of the Declaration of independence. And now there's really three groups of people in this room that when we look at this picture, we, there's three groups of people that think different things. Now, number one, one group of people, they look at this picture and they automatically think there's a bunch of, uh, these are a bunch of racist white rich men who are creating a system just to benefit them. Okay, let's be honest. Right, there's another group of you who uh, you look at this picture and you're like, those are the greatest men of all time. You got, their, you got a picture of Jefferson tattooed on your shoulder or something like that. You're just like, oh, the best men to have ever lived. And then there's probably a lot of people in here that are looking at these guys and they're like, I, I don't know what to believe. I don't really know what to think about these guys. Right? Now, how many of you guys can name some people in this picture? Right? There's a few of them. Just, just name a couple out. Throw them out there. Washington's not in here. He didn't, uh, he signed the Constitution, he was, uh, yeah, that's not Washington, that's, uh, oh, maybe it is, but he didn't sign it. Huh? No, that's, we're actually going to talk about that guy. <laughs> Washington's not in this. He didn't sign the Declaration of Independence, um, but uh, he was a writer of the Constitution. A lot of people, uh, and I heard some out there, right? Um, a lot of people, well, Jefferson, okay, we've heard that one. Franklin, those are the two most popular. Those are the ones that we hear. By the way, Jefferson and Franklin are the least Christian men on this picture. Isn't it kind of interesting how we are trained to, to pick out the least Christian men of our founding fathers? Just throwing that out there. Some of you guys um, are like, you know, because of his signature, you're like, well, John Hancock's in there. He is, right? He's right there sitting at the, sitting at the chair. I don't know why he gets the chair, but he does. Um, but uh, but we're, we, we recognize 
some of, we recognize only a couple of these guys. We don't really know anything about them, okay? And so 29 of these guys, they actually graduated from seminary, meaning Bible school. Over half of them had a degree in, in Bible, okay? Several of them were pastors. A lot of them donated money to have Bibles printed throughout their lives. Uh, this guy right here, okay, this guy was a choir director at his church, and he actually produced the first American um, hymnal, okay, that was here in the United States. Uh, Benjamin Rush, that is, a lot of these guys look the same, so it's a little tricky, but that's this guy right here, all right, he was, uh, he started the first Bible society in the United States, and the Bible society, that was just a society that, that printed Bibles to hand out to people. Benjamin Rush, same guy, he, uh, he's known as the father of public school, all right, and in 19, or 1791, he actually published a piece saying, or claiming, or arguing for why the Bible should never, ever, ever be taken out of public schools. Right, John Witherspoon, right, got, uh, that's this guy right here. John Witherspoon, he produced the first family Bible. All right, Charles Thompson, Charles Thompson's this tall guy standing up. Charles Thompson, what he did, he actually took the, uh, the, the New Testament, in, which was written in the original Greek, Greek language, and he actually translated it to English, and it's called the Thompson Bible. You can still buy the Thompson Bible um, here uh, today. John Hancock, he's the guy, we already mentioned him, he's the guy who's sitting right here on the on the chair, and uh, John Hancock, he was the governor of Massachusetts, and he put out a proclamation one time that the whole state of Massachusetts needs to fast and needs to pray that if there's anybody within the state that does not know Jesus, that they would find Jesus. It's one of our fathers or, or of, this, of this country, right? I could go on and on and on, even Franklin and Jefferson, and those guys, I'm not saying that they were Christians. Sometimes some things that they wrote, you're like, wow, they're definitely Christians. Some things that they wrote, you're like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know. But Franklin, he was the governor of, uh, of Pennsylvania. He came up with a plan to raise church attendance within the state, right? Jefferson, right? Franklin's right there. Jefferson's right there. Jefferson, uh, he's, he, uh, he read Jesus's teachings every night before he went to bed, right? Because he felt like a leader of a new country, a leader of a country in general, needs to have the moral teachings of Jesus under his belt. He probably knew Jesus's teachings better than, maybe better than anybody in this room. He's read it every day. One of the least Christian guys. Continental Congress uh, printed Bibles and endorsed Bibles to be used in public schools. In 1844, the Supreme Court had an 8-0 decision that, hey, if you're gonna, saying, hey, if you're going to be a government-run school, you're going to be teaching out of the Bible. All right, John Quincy Adams, he, he called himself a church-going animal. I could go on and on and on and on. But the people who had a vision for this country and the people who started this country, who risked their lives this day that they that they signed their name on the Declaration of Independence because that was a death sentence. The overwhelming majority of them were Christians. And a few weren't. These Christians, they played a huge part. People part of our family. But now all you hear about is stuff like separation of church and state. All right, which kind of drives me crazy because the, the term separation of church and state appears nowhere in our founding documents. It's not in the Declaration of Independence. It's not in the Constitution. It's not in the Bill of Rights. Actually, it first appears in 1802 um, between a personal letter between Jefferson and the church, one of these guys up here, and a church um, who had questions about the First Amendment. All right, what's freedom of religion? What's that, what's that look like? And so uh, and Jefferson used this to describe the First Amendment, and it meant what he was meaning uh, with context was that the government 
government was not allowed to run the church, right? Government was not allowed to run churches. There was not supposed to be, there's there was never supposed to be a state-run religion. Remember, these guys are from England, or they had all been a part of England because England owned uh, the colonies, and uh, England had a state-run religion, the Church of England. And they're like, that, that's terrible for the church. See, the idea was to keep government out of religion, not to keep religion out of government, right? And that's the truth. And I know probably the biggest question as we look at this picture and we look at these guys, is really the question of, well, okay, if you're saying that, you know, a lot of these guys, or most of these guys are, are Christian, how the heck could any Christian be okay with probably America's greatest sin, which is slavery? How could they do that? And I think that's a fair question. I think that's a good question to ask. And the answer is extremely complicated Right, a lot more complicated than I think a lot of us, a lot of us realize. And part of that is the, the, uh, slavery, sure, was part of American culture, right? and it shouldn't have been because it's evil and it's wrong. All right? But it was part of the world culture. Slavery was on every single continent that people lived on, unfortunately. Um, uh, slavery was on North America before the Europeans even arrived, right? Native Americans practiced slavery on each other. When they would go and they would take over a tribe, all of a sudden that tribe would be the other tribe's slaves. Now, slavery, and I can't say this strongly enough, slavery is evil and it's wrong. And I'm sure, I'm, a, I'm hoping that 100% of the people in this room, you would automatically agree with that and say, yeah, hands down, I would stand up to that because we should. 75% of the writers of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were anti-slavery men. How do we know that? Well, they freed slaves, right, when it was legal to do so, because for a long time it was illegal to free slaves, which is ridiculous. And they led abolitionist groups, right, trying to abolish slavery. In fact, slavery was part of the issue that pushed the colonies to separate from Britain. You don't hear that taught because it's not taught. In 1773, there was a bunch of, there were several colonies like Rhode Island, Connecticut, Massachusetts, uh, Pennsylvania, that all wrote anti-slavery laws saying, hey, slavery needs to be illegal in our state because it's an evil moral sin. And you know what happened? King George, who owned the colonies, he came over and said, you don't have the authority to do that. You are under the British Empire, and so, no, there will be slavery. And so that, that happened in seven, or 1774, just a few months after all this happened. And so that was one of the major issues, one of the major parts that pushed the colonies to separate from, from Britain, and it was led by Christians. Many Christians jumped on the bandwagon saying, no, we need to leave. One of these Christians was this guy named Stephen um, Hopkins. He was the, the, Rhode Island, or the governor of Rhode Island, and um, he, he was one of these guys. He wrote this law saying, hey, we're not going to have slavery in Rhode Island as he should. And then uh, King George came over and said, no, you're wrong. We are going to have it. And so he became a patriot because of that. And when Rhode Island gained their independence from Great Britain, that was one of the first things he did was make it illegal to own slaves or have slaves. Slavery illegal. See, in the North, things move pretty quickly. That's the honest truth. Unfortunately, in the South, things moved a lot slower. By 1804, all New England states had banned slavery. By the way, that had never, ever been done in an area like that within the world in the history of mankind. And it was led by Christians like us. All right, in 1865, the country abolished slavery as a whole. And they were the, only the third or fourth nation ever in the history of mankind to do that. All right, Ohio, our state, has never, slavery has never been legal in Ohio. It's always been illegal. 
And even as of today, out of 193 nations in this world, 94 of them still have not criminalized slavery. It's almost half. Experts, they estimate that four million, there's 40 million slaves in the world today during our generations. Now, the slave trade out of Africa, unfortunately, again, horrible, horrible stuff, it was over a period of 400 years where 12.5 million people were, were taken out as slaves. 12.5 million. But today for us, there's almost three times more happening today. See, we look back and talk about how bad it, how bad it was, and that is 100% fair and right. We should call that out. But let's not forget to look around right now because it's really bad. We don't talk about it. You never hear about it. All right, it's ignored by all sides. Right? Our responsibility as Christians are to fight for those people just like past Christians did before us. And the founding fathers, uh, these guys in this picture, all right, most of them as Christians, they had a decision to make. And that decision was, what are they going to do with their little amount of power to best way steer the country in the right direction? And we here today as Christians all over the country are faced with the exact same issue, with the exact same question. See, this election is the most important in our lifetime. Only two parties can, can get things done, and both parties are drastically different. So what I want to do is I want to look at the party platforms, and I want the parties to speak for themselves. Don't listen to me, all right? Let the parties speak for themselves, all right? First, we're going to look at religious freedom, all right? This is on the Republican website. This is their platform, okay? Um, it says, we value the right of America's religious leaders to preach and the Americans to speak freely according to their faith. We pledge to defend the religious beliefs and rights of conscience of all Americans and to safeguard religious institutions against government control. Right? Sounds pretty good. I mean, let's, let's call a spade a spade, all right? This sounds exactly what, like something that Christians should support. Let's look at the Democrat platform. All right? Again, pulled this off the their website says, we recognize the paramount importance of maintaining the separation of church and state enshrined in our Constitution, but it's not there in the Constitution. So you got one party saying, yeah, it's, it's important. We, everybody should have their religious freedom. You got the other party saying, hey, yeah, um, religious, religion and our government, they need to be separated from each other based off the Constitution, which isn't even true. All right, let's look at economy. This is what is on the Republican website. It says, government cannot create prosperity, though government can limit or destroy it. I think that's something we've all seen um, to varying degrees. It says, prosperity is the product of self-discipline, enterprise, saving, and investment by individuals, but is not an end in itself, all right? Sounds about right, all right? Let's go to the Democrat platform. They say, we will forge a new social and economic contract with the American people, a contract that creates millions of new jobs. How many times have you heard a politician promise that on both sides, right? And promotes shared prosperity. Now, the key words here in this is the word shared prosperity. Well, what's that mean? Well, that's socialism. Fancy word for socialism, right? That's, that's what it is. It's, hey, the government says, hey, you give us your stuff. We're going to take it, and we're going to distribute it back the way we think it should be distributed. Okay, that's what socialism is. And in a perfect world, maybe that would work. 
But we don't live in a perfect world. Right? We live in a selfish world where we all are selfish. And so, I, you know, I, I look at this, and this is exactly opposite of what the, the New Testament teaches. Actually, Paul teaches us that, hey, if we don't work, we don't eat. Paul's like, you need to take care of yourself. Stop relying on other people to, to, to hold you up. Now, that doesn't mean we can't help out people. Actually, our church, we help out people within our family all the time, here and there, when they, when they fall on hard times. It's what we as a church are supposed to do. But it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be a lifestyle. And, and that's what happens. I actually had a, a friend um, who, who posted this once, and, and it was near Christmas, and, and she's, uh, me and her think very different, differently, and I don't think she would call herself a Christian, and, um, and she was saying, um, she was talking about how she receives government assistance, I think she was like an artist, and she, she was like trying to sell her art, but uh, wasn't making ends meet, and didn't have, a, didn't have another job, and just stuff like that, so she was getting government assistance, and this was near Christmas, and so her thing was, that she was talking about was, hey, um, I deserve, I have the right to, you know, I want to give my parents a present for Christmas. I just don't have the money to. And for us, some of you guys are like, well, you know, uh, for us, that should kind of pull at our heartstrings a little bit. I mean, it should. Like, well, that is very kind of her to do. Like, she's thinking about her parents. She's thinking about giving them, she's trying to be generous. All right, but this is how Satan, uh, let's be honest, this is how, you know, evil forces in this world have, have twisted things, such as generosity. Because we should look at that from God's point of view, really, and, and the point of view of that is, hey, what you want is the government to take somebody else's stuff, give it to you so that you could give it away. You want to spend somebody else's money to get them a present. And that, that's what it is. By the way, if any of you guys, you want to give away, if you want me to spend your money, I would be more than happy uh, to do that. Um, but that's what it is. That's not generosity. It's not. Right? Generosity is you giving up of what you have, not using somebody else's money or whatever it might be to give that, to give that away. Right? Let's look at family. This is off the Republican webpage. Foremost among those institutions is the American family. Okay? That's 100% biblical. It is the foundation of civil society, and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage, the union of one man and one woman. Exactly what the Bible teaches us. I went on the Democrat website to try to find anything on family, and I'll be honest, I couldn't. Okay, I, I couldn't find anything. There's some stuff on, you know, the closest thing my, it was transgenderism and government ID cards, just, just all that stuff. Um, it wasn't there. All right, let's look, at, uh, let's look at life, and this is the most important one. It says, we assert the sanctity, this is from the, the Republican standpoint, we assert the sanctity of human life and affirm that the unborn child has a fundamental right to life which cannot be infringed. Right? That the child has a, has a right to life, which is what we see in Scripture. Let's look at the other side. The Democrat platform says, we will appoint U.S. Supreme Court justices and federal judges who will respect and enforce foundational precedents. All right, what are those? Which are mostly including Roe versus Wade. And we believe every woman should be able to access high-quality reproductive health care services, which we as Christians should generally agree with. Right? We believe that women do have rights. They should have rights. That's what's right. But then, including safe and legal abortion. Whoa, that's where it goes wrong. That's completely wrong. No one has the right to kill somebody else 
you know, an innocent way. You cannot do that. Abortion is the greatest moral issue, hands down, no comparison of today. Nothing even comes close. I know there's people who disagree with that, but that is just the fact, all right? That's, that's, it's the greatest moral issue today to God. Right? It's more important than immigration, more important than welfare, more important than economics, more important than education. Right? In our country, 61 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade. Last year, we had 27 abortions in Seneca County. Right? In Sandusky County, all right, we had 43 abortions. Right? And those numbers are actually way down from previous years. I mean, Planned Parenthood, the, the main organization, the organization that has the most abortions or perform, performs the most abortions throughout the entire country, was founded by a complete racist that we ignore. All right, Margaret Sanger. This is, this is her quote, all right? She says, we, and this was written in a letter to somebody. She says, we do not want word to go out that we want to, this is what she wrote, that we want to exterminate the Negro population. Founder of Planned Parenthood. How was she doing that? Through abortion. Now, this is what we know. Women in our church, we know that there's women sitting here that have had abortions. We have women who are leaders in our church that have had abortions in their past. And one thing that no one wants to talk about is really the psychological impact that abortions have on moms, mostly but also dads. It's ignored in our society. That's why we support um, organizations like Heartbeat Hope Medical here in Tiffin and in Fremont, all right? Because what do they do? Right? They go, uh, they, they help women who are thinking about getting abortions, and a lot of it is because of money and stuff like that because having a kid is expensive, all right? Um, and they go, and they, they help these women that uh, get on their own two feet, help them with diapers, with crib, you know, just all sorts of stuff. Um, they help these women, which is what we as the church are supposed to do. And if you're sitting here and you're like, A, you've had one in the past. All right, maybe, I don't know if you're a Christian or not, have done that. Again, we know that there are people who have found forgiveness, but here's the greatest thing about Christianity. It's knowing that God paid for that sin. And he did it willingly. Even some, a sin so horrific as abortion, let's call it what it is. And not only did God pay for it, but he forgives. And he wants a relationship with you. And I know some of you guys who have gone through this in your past, you've found that forgiveness. And others, maybe you haven't yet. But God forgives and he wants to forgive. You just got to go to him. So you got one side, Republican, saying, hey, abortion should be illegal. You got the other side, Democrat, saying, saying, hey, you know, we should not only make abortions legal, but we should fund abortions with our money, right? The people's money. And not just in our country, but also in other countries and overseas. You know, and I don't care. It shouldn't matter if you like the guy or not. You like his personality or not. But we happen to have, and I can't believe, you know, four years ago I would never have said this, right? But we happen to have the most pro-life president we've ever had. 
in our country. All right? He's more pro-life than Reagan, than Bush. All right? He's more pro-life than Clinton, than, than anybody. All right? and does he really care about being pro-life? I don't know. I don't know the guy. Is he, is he, does he care about that? I don't know. But his track record, his track record proves for itself he is the best chance that we have to save the lives of hundreds of thousands of babies who are aborted in this country every year. It's just what it is. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle, all right, us as Christians, is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil and spiritual forces in the heavens. See, Satan is at work in our country, right? What he does is he twists morality and, and he, makes it look, he makes terrible things look morally right. For example, he'd say, hey, you know, you're not against abortion necessarily. You're for women's rights. And again, like I said, as Christians, we should be for women's rights. We should put women's rights high up on our, you know, list of important things. It should be up here. But when women's rights comes against life, life wins. Life is more important. A woman should, a woman should be able to do whatever she wants with her body. 100% agree. And we as Christians, we should, we should follow behind that, except for when it has to do with somebody else's body and if it's between life or death which is in the case of abortion. Seeing it, you twist things. Now, me personally, I'm not a Republican. A Republican, there's some things that Republicans do that drive me crazy. Politicians in general. Are, I'm not a Republican, and I'm certainly not a Democrat. Right? I, I, I'm independent. If anything... Right? I probably, you know, ideologically, you know, like I probably lean more towards like the libertarian um, viewpoint for me. But libertarians are for abortion. So for me, even though I agree with maybe 90% of their stuff, I'm like, no, they're out of the question. Because that's the greatest moral issue of today. Here in America, we have a two-party system. And in the past, the two-party system has kind of worked where it's, you know, we view it as like, well, it's like, a, it's like a husband and wife, you know, same team, just, just some differences. They have different approaches, different perspectives. But they're all for the common goal, right? They're all for the advancement of the United States, right? But, uh, but today's Democrat Party is not Bill Clinton's Democrat Party anymore. It's not. It has morphed. It has changed. It is now a progressive agenda influenced by spiritual forces. I do not understand how anybody could argue against that. And if it is allowed to progress, it will destroy America. And I believe that with all of my heart. And so while people are sitting, just hold up. Just wait, because you're going to be ticking other people off. I'm already ticking them off, okay? But this is what drives me crazy. All right? There's people in this room. While people are sitting around foolishly talking about how they don't like a president's tweet or his unfiltered style and his checkered past. By the way, you want to talk about checkered past. Both Biden and Harris and Trump, all three have checkered past. And the only one who doesn't have a checkered past seems to be Pence, which happens to be the only one who calls himself a true Christian. Okay? Just throwing that out there. But while we are sitting around foolishly talking about how we don't like our president's tweet or unfiltered pass or, or, or checkered pass or unfiltered style, meanwhile, the enemy is prowling around like a, loring, like a roaring lion looking for a nation to devour. 
So we need to vote not on personality. We need to vote based on policies and procedures because policies and procedures, that's what matters. That affects our daily lives. Nations will rise and fall based off the policies of those who are put in office. Now, wouldn't it be great if we had a guy who had both? He had the personality and the policies? Yeah, that would be awesome. Great. That would be the perfect world. But I don't think that's necessarily our option this go around. Trump is not our savior. He's not. And when he does something wrong, when he does something bad, we should call him out on it. Right? That's what we should do as Christians. Biden, I mean, I don't think he's necessarily an evil guy. But his platform most certainly is. And I will not. And I cannot vote for a candidate whose party platform advocates the murder of unborn babies and encourages unbiblical order of the family and promotes socialism, which is unbiblical, and ignores God and his word in our culture and tries to distance ourselves, tries to distance religion from the country. And as your pastor, I'm saying, wake up, church. The enemy wants to take this nation down. The enemy wants to erase our Christian foundation. And we already see this happening. That's why it's purposely not talked about. That's why we've already kind of left it behind. And Christians have fought and died so that we can have the freedom to reach out. This is a plant, in case you didn't know. It's got roots. Right? It's, got, it's in soil, it's got water, this is a, it's, it's a living thing. You put it out in the sun, it's, it's going to grow. Right? If I were to take this plant and I were to cut a flower off, right? this flower still looks pretty nice. Right? You could take this flower, I mean, you could decorate the flower in your hair, you know, do whatever you want to do with this flower. But because I cut this flower from the root, it's not going to grow. Looks great for a while, but because it's not connected to the root, it is going to start, it's going to show. This flower is dead now. It cannot survive, and it's going to look worse and worse and worse. And the reality is, our country, what we're doing, is we're disconnecting ourselves from our roots. And everything looks fine. Everything looks okay, and I know some of you guys are like, well, no, everything's not fine. We got this, we got that. I get it, but you're still living generally a normal life, right? Everything's okay, but give it time. The problems in America are not going to go away as long as it's disconnected from its roots, and in this scenario, the roots are the teachings of Jesus, a biblical foundation that our country was founded upon in truth, all right? And it's, it's the biblical foundation. It's Christians standing up for what's right, all right? That's what the roots of our country are. Proverbs 14, 34 says, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. There's a guy named... Erwin uh, Lucer, he's, uh, maybe you've heard of him, he was the pastor of Moody Church, and he wrote a book set that was called, When a Nation Forgets God, Seven Lessons We Must Learn from Nazi Germany. And he actually quotes a German guy um, in this book who reflected on the apathy 
and the indifference of the church in Germany during World War II. And I just want to read you a quote, a quote from this guy, this eyewitness who was there. This is what he says. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I consider myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it. It's just how we think. Because what could anyone do to stop it? A railroad track ran behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance and then the wheels coming over the tracks. We became disturbed as we heard the cries coming from the train as it passed by. And we realized that it was carrying Jews like cattle in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow, and we dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we could hear the cries of the Jews en route to a death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew the time that the train was coming. And when we heard the whistle blow, we, we began singing hymns. And by the time the train came past our church, we were singing at the top of our voices. If we heard the screams, we just sang more loudly, and soon we heard them no more. Years have passed, and nobody talks about it anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep, and it says, God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians and yet did nothing to intervene. We cannot, as a church, ignore and remain silent about the moral issues of our day. To do so is not only cowardly, but complicit to evil. Do not sing more loudly. Instead, stand up for what's right. Jesus calls us, he says, hey, we are, the, we are the salt and light in this earth, in this world. We're the hope. And we as a family, we need to wake up to what's happening all around us. Let's pray. God, this is an unbelievably uncomfortable subject. But Lord, you give us your word and you gave us principles that we need to live our lives by. And you gave us principles of how our country needs to be run. God, help us as Christians to stand up for what's right, even, even when we know we're going to get criticized or even when we know that maybe our friends aren't going to like it or whatever it might be. God, help us to stand up. Help us to wake up that we wouldn't just sing more loudly, but we would do the right thing. God, we beg you for this nation as we seem to be at a crossroads within the next few weeks. Lord, we ask that your will would be done.
and use us as Christians to make that happen. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.